And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, all collapsed. And everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. A marching band defeats a city? Yep. I'll believe that when pigs fly. Frank, no! And a beautiful woman asks me on a date. Any minute now. Yep. Well, I don't even know what to say after those videos, to be honest with you. I'm glad that you're here today, grateful for our multi-sites, those who are watching on the stream and on TV. We are in the middle of a series called When Pigs Fly, and today we are talking about a marching band that defeats a city. Now, I know some of you are thinking, a marching band defeats a city? There's no way. People in the marching band are a bunch of geeks, right? They're lame. Well, let me tell you something. I was in the marching band, and we are not geeks, and we are not lame. At least that's what my mom told me over and over again when I was in high school. She would kind of comfort me through all of that. We're going to look at a marching band who listened to God and did exactly what God wanted them to do, even though it didn't make any sense. And that's the thing about following God, isn't it? It's this quiet confidence that he's in charge, that he knows what he's doing. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What a great definition of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there's the hall of faith, right? God writes down one faithful person after another, one faithful man, one faithful woman who did what God asked him to do even though it didn't make any sense. For example, Abraham was told by God, I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave your in-laws and I will lead you to a land that I will one day show you. Now that had to be difficult to leave your hometown and your friends. The in-law part probably wasn't too difficult at all. Some of you chuckle a little bit at that, but that's the reason you left, didn't it? Because of the in-laws messing around with your marriage. That's what happened with that right there. And in a day and age when people didn't travel more than 20 miles away from where they were grown up, Abraham followed God. And God said to Abraham, he said, listen, if you'll follow me, you'll obey me, you'll do what I've asked you to do, I'll one day make you the father of a great nation. Of course, Abraham and Sarah at this time are old, and I mean super old. I mean, if they have a baby, they're going to have to buy diapers for themselves and for the baby at the exact same time. They're that kind of old, but God was faithful to them. God did what he promised that he would do, and we still have the nation of Israel today, don't we? And that is another evidence of the faithfulness of God. And then I think about David. He's written in Hebrews chapter 11 for his faith because he runs out onto the battlefield to take on the giant Goliath. David thinks he's too big to miss. Everybody else thinks he's too big to defeat. And David runs onto that battlefield because he believes that the battle belongs to the Lord. And then I think about Daniel. The king at the time had an edict that for the next 30 days you weren't allowed to pray. And anyone who was caught praying to anyone other than 
the king, they would be thrown into the lion's den. Well, Daniel's now in his 80s. He says, you know what? God's been faithful to me my whole entire life. I'm not going to turn my back on God now. So what was his practice was to pray three times a day. So when he heard the law, he went right to his room, opened up the windows, and he prayed. And then he was told on by a bunch of lame guys, and, and it ended up that Daniel had to be thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel didn't quiver. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't upset. He knew that God wouldn't allow him to become meow mix, that God would take care of him. And sure enough, God did. God was faithful. My goodness, when we read the Bible, we read about one person after another who takes risk, who lives the great adventure, who lives by faith and continues moving forward, even when what God's asking him to do doesn't make any sense. And when they get to the end of their life, they don't have the regrets, do they? They can look back on their life and say, that was the ride of a lifetime. That was so exciting to be right in step with what God wanted for my life. So we see people who go for it, who really exercise their faith. Because faith is more than just something you say. It's also backing that up. Those people live adventurous lives. And then we have the opposite in the scriptures. Those people who were given the opportunity of a lifetime to follow after God or follow after Jesus, and they chose not to do it. Of course, the poster boy for this one is the rich young ruler. This kid comes up to Jesus. We don't know how old he was. We just know that he was rich and he was young. That's enough to hate him right then and there, right? I mean, that's what you think about it. So he comes up to him and he says, hey, hey, Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now this kid is so arrogant. He, he thinks he can buy eternal life. He thinks he can earn eternal life. And so Jesus can see right through this kid. And he knows that the one thing that he's placing his faith in more than anything else is the almighty dollar. Don't you find this interesting that this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus tells someone to sell everything they've got and come and follow him, to give everything that they have to the poor? Why did Jesus say that to him and not to someone else? Well, understand this. There can only be one on the throne of your life. And the almighty dollar was on the throne of the rich, young ruler's life. So Jesus said, you think you can earn it? I tell you what. You sell everything you've got, you give it to the poor, then you come and you follow me. It was Jesus' way of saying, there's only room for one on the throne. Friends, think about this for a second. What's on the throne of your life today? What is the most important thing in your life today? Who's the most important person in your life today? Jesus is going to tell you to let that go. Jesus is going to tell you to remove that from the throne of your life because only he is worthy to sit on that throne. And if you don't make the great exchange and place Jesus as the leader and forgiver of your life, you're going to be miserable. You're going to end up with great regrets. Jesus said, all right, you think you can buy your way into it? You think you can earn your way into it? No, 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 no. You go sell everything you've got, and then you come and you follow me. And what does the Bible say about the rich young ruler? He walked away sad because he had great wealth. Wouldn't you like to interview him years later when he would probably be talked about as the rich old ruler at that time? Hey, hey do you regret that? Because you could have walked with God's son. Man, you could have seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. You could have been there when he rose again from the dead. 
And when the church started, oh, rich young ruler, you could have played a pivotal role. Your life could have made a great difference and a significant impact. But you walked away. Do you regret it? I think he'd say he did. Because every single person who follows God, no matter where God leads them, you never read one time in Scripture where they say, you know what, I followed God the other day and that was a huge mistake right there. I wish, man, you should never ever do something like that. You'll just never read that in Scripture. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that's the big question of the day. How much faith do you have in God? And are you exercising that faith? Because faith is more than something that we say. Faith is an action word. It's a verb. It's something that we do. We put it into practice. We put our shoes underneath of it. So what kind of faith do you have today? I was reading this book the other day, and the author mentioned that there are probably three, there's probably more than this, but three different types of faith that you see in the world today. The first kind of faith that we see is casual faith. This is the faith of the casual believer. Now, as I go through each one of these, you just kind of evaluate, kind of test yourself out, see if any of these are true of you or not. This is the casual believer. Casual believer puts his big toe in the pool of God. He won't jump all the way in. He won't commit himself fully to that. He claims that he's following God, but in reality, he's still following whatever he wants to do. Around Thanksgiving, he might say, hey, it's Thanksgiving. Let's, let's, let's lift up a prayer before we eat this meal. But for the most part, he just kind of exists as if God isn't there, that God isn't a part of his life. He'll show up for a Christmas and he'll show up for Easter. We call them Christers, don't we? That's what we say, the Christmas and the Easter. They'll show up for those two things, and, and they'll come to church. That's, that's not just be, they'll come to church about once every, oh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks. Once, once in a while, when everything lines up, they'll think, you know what? It's been a while since we've been to church. We ought to go back to church. But they live their life at what I call a Christian atheist. They, they say they proclaim Jesus, but there's no evidence in their life that they actually do. So for the casual person, the casual person with faith, Jesus doesn't have control of the words that come out of their mouth when they find themselves on a golf course. He doesn't have control over the words of their mouth when they lie to get out of trouble or when they gossip about somebody. He has no control over their sexual appetites or their selfishness, putting themselves first over everybody else. They just kind of just go with the flow. They say they're followers of Christ, but they never got around to actually being committed to him, to actually following him. Does that describe you? Does that describe somebody that you know. Let me give you the second type of faith. It's of the convenient believer. Now, then this person says that they're a Christian, but only when it benefits them. Only when they find the conversation going a particular direction where if they invoke the name of Jesus or God or say that they're a Christian, that it somehow benefits them in the conversation. Let me give you an example of a convenient believer. It was, it was years ago, uh, my wife woke up one day and there was something in the house she didn't like and I was just glad it wasn't me. And she said uh, that she'd like to have a new car. For some reason, she didn't like the old car. Nothing wrong with the old car, but she wanted a new car. What mama wants, mama gets. That's just the way that works. And 
so we drove down to the car dealership to get her a new car. So we traded out the old car, got the new car. Now, you know, I'm working back and forth to get the best price that I can, and I'm negotiating everything. Well, I always negotiate free window tinting. That's one of the things that I do. I don't think you should ever pay for window tinting. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't cost them hardly any money to give you window tinting. You just bought a $20,000 car. They can give you window tinting. So make sure that you negotiate for the window tinting. So I went over to this little uh, kiosk that was over there where a nice lady was there. They write these little forms called We Owe You. We Owe You. And they owed me window tinting. So I wanted to have that written down. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for the gal to fill out the certificate. And she's talking to me and my wife and she begins to cuss. And she throws a choice word over here, and I think there was an F-bomb over there. And what really set me over the edge is she used God's name in vain, which I don't appreciate whatsoever. And yet, Christy and I were were getting more and more increasingly uncomfortable. We're like, what's going on with this woman? This is so unprofessional for her to talk this way. It's ridiculous. Well, Well, inevitably, when we're having a conversation with someone who doesn't know us, they always ask me the question, what do you do for a living? So uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm the pastor down the street at uh, Sagebrush Church. You've never seen anybody change on a dime faster than this woman changed on a dime. She said, this is a blessed day. I tell you what, such a blessed day we're having right now. I thought, blessed day? Why well, that didn't make any sense. Why are you throwing a blessed in there on a day? It's a good day. It's a lovely day. It's a beautiful day. A blessed day. I hope you're having a blessed day. I'm having a blessed day. She must have said it six, seven times, used that word blessed. And then the guy in the cubicle next to her sneezed, and she shouted, God bless you. And then she looked at me, and I gave her the thumbs up. You know, like, well, yeah, I got the God bless you in there. That was good. Before we left that little table that we were sitting at, I think she threw in a couple of praise the Lords. I don't even know how they fit in the conversation, but a couple of praise the Lords came out of her mouth, and I'm pretty sure she slid in a hallelujah as well. She was weird. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's one of the weirdest people I've ever met in my entire life. Just turned on a dime. And that's what some people do. They're in a conversation and they realize they're going to lose the deal and they find out the person's a Christian. All of a sudden, they just kind of turn it and they become a Christian too. Get that promotion to get whatever they want. If they can invoke the name of Jesus, if they can bring God up into it, then they'll use God for their own benefit. Know anybody like that? You ever been like that? Let me give you the third one. This is the committed believer. The person who has a committed faith. This is the person, well, they say they're following Jesus and they're actually following him. I mean, they're not perfect, oh my goodness, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the desire of their heart to please him. They really do want to love him with all their heart and all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And so they read the Bible a lot. And they talk to God every day. And they just want to be in the center of his will. And so they, they, they pray prayers like this. God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. Whatever you want me to say, that's what I want to say. I, I don't care what it is. I don't care what I've got to surrender. I don't care what I've got to give up. Less of me, more of you. All I care about is what you want. I just want you to use my life. I'm living my life for an audience of one. This is the person who consciously is thinking about that moment when they breathe their last breath on this earth and breathe their first breath in heaven and they just long to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. They live their whole life for that one moment in time. They are all in for the one who went all in for them. 
I was reading this book, and the author shared a story. He was in the foyer after a service, and a gentleman came up and began to have a conversation with him, and the pastor had seen him at church quite often. In fact, the kid was almost there just about every single day. And they began to have a conversation between the two of them, and the, and the young man said, you know, I, I grew up in the church. Now, not a church like this one. The church I grew up in wasn't very on fire for the Lord, but we went to church, and it was a part of our life, but it wasn't really like the part of our life. It wasn't what life you know, consisted of. And, and he said, hey, you know, we didn't take our faith very seriously at my house. We didn't really pray. We didn't really read the Bible. We never told somebody else about Jesus, never invited anybody to church. And so there was no power in, in, in what I was doing, spiritually speaking. He said, so I got my, my younger 20s. I started drinking an awful lot. Became an alcoholic, got involved with drugs. I was sleeping around, jumping from one bed to another. And all the things that I thought was gonna bring me peace and bring me satisfaction, well, none of those things did. Well, a friend of mine invited me to come to church, and so I came, and I, I've been coming you know, for the last couple of years, and, and everything in my life has completely changed. I'm no longer addicted to alcohol. I don't need drugs in my life. I, I, I'm looking for that right girl that I can spend the rest of my life with, so I'm keeping myself pure till that moment in time. And, and I don't know if you know this, Pastor, but I'm up here all the time. I love this church. I love what it's about. I love the teachings of this place. I mean, it's, I, I leverage my life for the kingdom of God. And the pastor's just kind of blown away. He said, man, way to go. Way to go all in for the one who went all in for you. Well, they ended their conversation. He didn't think much about it. Well, a few weeks went by. Pastor was out in the foyer again. And, and the gentleman came up and said, hey, man, I, I got a question for you. Do you have any time where you could go and, and have a coffee with my mom and me? She, she's got some questions. Well, the pastor thought she had some spiritual questions. She said, well, let me see if, I, see if I can find something in my schedule. And so he found a date and a time. Pastor showed up. Woman came with her son. And he thought she was coming to thank him for the ministries of the church that had so impacted her son's life. But that's not why she was there. She said, Pastor, I go to church down the street a few miles away. And I've been going to church for a long, long, long time. My son has now been going to your church and I've got some concerns. And the pastor said, well, great, you know, fire away. What are your concerns? She said, well, first concern is, is he's up there all the time. And I just think that's ridiculous. Can't you tell him that the Bible teaches that we should do everything in moderation? I mean, my goodness, he's up at church all the time. He's in all these different ministries. And every time we sit down for a meal, guess who wants to pray? He wants to pray. And it's kind of annoying, to be honest with you. And it's kind of bugging all the other relatives as well. Not only that, he's starting to give some of his money to the church, which I find to be absolutely ridiculous. And the other day, he said that he wants to go on a mission trip. He won't listen to me. So would you please tell him that Jesus didn't want everything? That it's okay to give him some? Pastor was shocked, just as many of you are. He said, then I got mad. And he said, when I get mad, I quote scripture from the book of Revelation. <laughs> so he looked at the woman and said, well, Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea, you're neither hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Translation, the way you live your life is making me sick. I want to puke watching you live. He said, ma'am, the Bible does not teach everything in moderation. 
when it comes to Jesus, you're all in or you're all out. It's everything you are and everything you hope to be or it's absolutely nothing. Does that describe your faith? Because it describes the leader of the marching band that we're looking at today. Joshua was a man of great faith and whatever God wanted him to do, that's exactly what he wanted to do. Let me set this story up for you. Joshua is now in charge of the children of Israel. For all these years before, it was Moses. And so he's got big shoes to fill, don't you think? But Moses has died, and Joshua's the one that's going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, 40 years earlier, when they got to the cusp of the promised land, Moses sent 12 spies in to spy out the land. And 10 of the 12 spies, they came back and said, oh my goodness, there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. They're too big. We can't defeat them. They had forgotten about the power and the faithfulness of God. And so God said, you know what? You don't want to trust me? You don't want to follow me? You want to have lip service to me, but you don't want to put action behind the words that you say? Fine by me. You don't want to go in that promised land because there's giants there and I'm not big enough to handle the giants? Then you'll wander around this desert for the next 40 years. And that's exactly what they did. God said, every single one of you faithless people is going to die in the wilderness. Your kids will inherit it. Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies who believed that I could do it, they'll inherit it. But the rest of you will die. Sure enough, that's what happened. Next 40 years, every single one of them died. Well, now it was Joshua's turn now to lead them into the promised land. And so uh, there's, there's great concern because there's seven enemy nations in the promised land that are all bigger and more powerful. And what's Joshua got? He's just got a bunch of former slave kids. These aren't warriors. This isn't some military strategy that he can come up with. So he's concerned. So he goes to God. And he says, listen, I'm concerned because the next city that we're taking on is the city of Jericho. And it's a fortified city. There are walls that surround the entire city. And I don't know how to attack this. I don't know what to do. So I can just imagine Joshua sitting down with a piece of paper and a pen saying, Lord, just reveal to me what our next step is. And this is what he gets. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Okay, so you got to put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a second. So he's, he's got a pad, got a pen. He's like, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? He says, well, I want you to march. Okay, we are going to march. That's what we will do. Good. March where? You will march around the city. March around the city. Do it for six days. Six days. One time a day. One time a day. Then what? Well, on the seventh day, seventh day, march around seven times. Seven times? Seven? Seven times? Seven times. And then what? Blow horns. Blow horns. And then shout. Walls will come down. Would you do this? 
This is one of your first acts of leadership. There's two main people looking to you for the answer. You have consulted with God. And now you're going to come to them and you're going to tell them that this is the plan? Let me tell you the sad truth about Christianity. Most Christians never see God do anything significant in their life because they don't expect God to do anything significant in their life. And then when God tells them to do something that doesn't make any sense, it takes a step of faith, they won't take it. That's why many of you have never experienced the power of God in your finances because you've never tithed. You trust in the almighty dollar more than you trust in almighty God. And you wonder why it's spiraling out of control. My goodness, uh, many of you, we've had so many people uh, say that they've given their lives to Jesus. And we rejoice at every one of them. But here's what's interesting. When they go over to the first steps room and we take the time, sometimes 30, 45 minutes with each individual person and explain the plan of salvation and what Jesus did to die on the cross and we say, hey, listen, is there anything stopping you from being fully committed to Jesus? And they say, no, I can't, can't think of anything. And so we lead them in a prayer, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of faith. And we say, listen, there's nothing hocus pocusy about these words, but if you mean them, God knows that commitment that you mean. And he will meet you where you're at. And they'll pray that prayer and we'll say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, now you need to get baptized. What? Yeah, baptism is the first act of obedience after you give your life to Jesus Christ. It shows everybody that you're serious about your relationship with Jesus. When would you like to schedule your baptism? What percent of people do you think actually follow through on just getting baptized after they've asked Jesus into their life? It's 35%. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you were committed. I thought he meant everything to you. I thought you didn't care a lick about what anybody else said or anybody else did. You were living your life from this day forward for an audience of one, and all you want to do is please him. But you don't even show up to your baptism. Isn't that crazy? Is that crazy to anybody else other than me? And we wonder why we're not living the adventure. We wonder why we're so bored in our faith. My goodness, for for, for many Christians, they they never even spend time reading the Word of God. They don't even know what it says. Because they don't take the time to put the sweat equity in to see what God wants for their life. And so they don't really pray. They don't seek God. They don't do what God asks them to do. They just do whatever they want to do. And then they wonder why they're so bored. And all these people that they know, when I used to do weddings, I would, I would come to these weddings, and there'd be the bride and the groom. Both of them come to our church. Both families come to the church. There'd be 200 people in the wedding party. Didn't know anybody. Not a one of them went to church. I'm introducing myself around. They don't even know that I'm the pastor of Sagebrush. I'm looking at the bride and the groom. I'm looking at the families going, what in the world have you been doing with your time? How is it that your friends, the people you say you're closest to, and your relatives don't have a clue that the fact that you go to church or that you love Jesus? And we wonder. We say, oh, yeah. God gave me that plan, I'd write that plan down right there, and I'd say, all right, God, I'll do that plan right there. No, you wouldn't. March around the city. This is the dumbest plan I've ever heard in my life. So he writes it down. 
He's got a choice now to make. He can crumple it up. A lot of us do. Say, forget about it. God's lost his ever-loving mind. We'll get all the swords we've got and we'll just, just, just do it ourselves. But you, you got to know something about Joshua. He just believed God could do anything. Do, do you believe it? When you pray, do you pray with faith, believing that God will hear your prayer and God will move heaven on earth on your behalf and that God will do what is right and what is good for his glory and for your good? Do you believe that? Joshua has to make a decision, so let's see what happens. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance! March around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, don't give a war cry, don't raise your voices, don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout! So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Now here's my question, did Joshua tell them the whole plan or just a little bit of the plan? I don't know. Did he gather the people together and say, listen, on day one, we're just going to do this. That's all I'm giving you right now. That's what we're doing day one. Day one, that's it. We're going to get up. We're going to march around the city. We're going to come back. That's all we're going to do. Or did he say to them, first six days, we're going to march around one time. Seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. Then we're going to blow some horns and we're going to shout and God's going to tear the walls down. Did he tell them everything? Which would be better for you to know? Just a little bit at a time or the whole plan? Because the whole plan doesn't make sense. I don't know how he did it, but Joshua got the people together, and they circled around one time, and then they went back to camp. Now, now you're one of the soldiers. You're one of the marching band, and you're sitting there at camp cooking a s'more, because I'm sure they ate s'mores back then. They're delicious. S'mores are delicious in a wonderful time. It's a wonderful treat, the s'more. What do you think the conversation was around the campfire? You know, Moses was a really great leader, but this guy's an idiot. I tell you what, what is wrong with him? He gets us up, we march all the way around that city, and then we have to come back right where we began. What was the purpose of that? Then you wake up the next day and you do it a second time. It don't make any sense. Then the third day, you do it again. At what point in time do you stop marching? At what point in time do you say, you know, this is day four, I'm good. I'm just going to hang here at the camp. You guys do what you need to do, but this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm not going to continue to do this. This is silly. Some of us, you used to follow God so closely. And whatever he said, that's what you did. Whatever he wanted you to give up, that's what you gave up. Whatever he wanted you to surrender, you'd surrender it. And you loved him so much. Somewhere along the way, you just kind of lost it. You lost the thrill of following Jesus one day at a time, even when he didn't make any sense, even what he asked you to do made no sense to you at all. You stopped following. And so you're just sitting at camp, cooking a s'more, waiting for them to come back, and missing out on the adventure, missing out on the miracle. I'm so glad they kept marching. 
I'm so glad they had a faith that was so big in God that even though what he was asking them to do made literally no sense at all, they just kept on being faithful. They just kept on showing up, and they just kept on marching. Well, the seventh day comes. They march around the city seven times, just as God commanded them to do. And on the seventh time around, the priests, they blew their trumpets, and Joshua commanded the people to shout. The Bible says, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. I've been to this site when I traveled to Israel. I've stood there and I've seen the stones that came tumbling down. They're still on the ground to this day. God fought for those people because of their faithfulness. Can I let you know a little secret? God wants to do the same thing for you. But if you give up, if it doesn't make any sense to you, if you refuse, if you crumple up the plan. Well, you're the one missing out. You're missing out on the blessing. You're missing out on the miracle. You see, I believe that God's looking for a group of people who will take the next step of faith no matter what, even when it doesn't make a bit of sense. So what is God asking you to do? Will you take that next step of faith? It's your move. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we talk a good game. We talk about how we'll do anything and give up anything and follow you and serve you no matter what. Is that really true? We just deceive in ourselves. By faith, Abraham followed you. By faith, David defeated a giant. By faith, Daniel was unharmed in the lion's den. By faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in a fiery furnace, but they were not alone. You were right there beside them. By faith, the children of Israel marched around for six days, one time a day, and on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And they blew the horns, and they shouted. And you did the miracle. Lord, we have to do the natural if we're going to see the super. So God, give us the faith to follow you anywhere you lead us, to say whatever it is you want us to say, to give away whatever it is we need to give away, to be the people that you've called us to be. Don't God, please don't let us be casual in this. and Please don't let us pull you out like a rabbit's foot when it's convenient. God, you're looking for commitment. People who back up their words with their lives 24-7. God, I pray we would be those kinds of people and we would see you do one miracle after the other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.